Well, if you haven't already done so, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Our focus again this morning is uh, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And in these verses, we see uh, the, the apostles' decision to, uh, to appoint local ordained leaders in the church at Jerusalem. Now, last Sunday, when we looked at these same verses, we, we focused on the need for such leaders. We saw that the the need was exposed when a complaint arose in the church. A a complaint by the Hellenists against the the Hebrews, by the the Greek-speaking members of the congregation who had been born outside of Palestine against those who who were native to Palestine and spoke Aramaic. And the complaint was that In the daily distribution of of food, their widows were being overlooked or maybe even neglected. And we saw how that complaint revealed uh, that that the church was out of step with the gospel. Such favoritism, such partiality, such divisions uh, are not in step with the gospel. And therefore, they, they need to be addressed. But the apostles had work to do, work that had been assigned to them by God, work of, of delivering the faith once for all to the saints. They, they were foundation builders, and it would not be right for them to neglect that work to take on this work. And so they said what the church needs is, is local leaders. Now, we sometimes think of those local leaders as, as deacons or as proto-deacons because in this text... Uh, the, the work is, is more diaconal. But as we, we see, as we, as we continue to read through the book of Acts, the, the division between elders and deacons is not really firmly established at this point. It's coming. Uh, the, the work of the local leaders is going to be divided between the elders and the deacons uh, as the church is established. There, there are going to be the elders who are devoted to the ministry of the, the word, while you have the deacons who are more devoted to the ministry of, of works, those who, who tend to the, the spiritual needs of the congregation, those who tend to the bodily needs of the congregation, both of which are, are vitally important. But here in this text, the, the primary division is not between the elders and the deacons, but rather between the apostles and the local leaders. And the apostles recognize that the church needs local ordained leaders if it is going to live a life worthy of its calling, if it is going to walk in step with the gospel. And so they suggest that uh, the, the disciples pick from amongst themselves seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, who can do this work. And this morning, I want us to focus on those qualifications. We, we've seen the, the need for such leaders, and we, and we recognize that that need still exists in the church. Like the early church, we are, are still composed of people from, from different cultures, people with different perspectives, people with, with different opinions about a whole host of issues. And it's easy for us to, to allow our differences to become divisions. And so we need Leaders, we, we need uh, God's ordained leaders to help us to, to walk and step with the Spirit. And not only when it comes to divisions, but really in all areas of our lives. We need leaders who can help us to live lives worthy of the calling that we have received. And so the question that we need to focus on this morning is, is who are those leaders? How do we identify them? How do we, how do we know who to select? 
And I want to suggest to you that in this text, we, we see uh, at least five qualifications that are set forth by the apostles. Five qualifications for the leaders uh, who will uh, help the church to live a life worthy of their calling. First, these leaders are to be men. Second, they are to be of good repute. Third, they are to be full of the Spirit. Fourth, they are to be full of wisdom. And finally, they are to be from among you. And so I want us to briefly consider each of these uh, qualifications this morning as we think about the leaders that we need to help us to live lives worthy of the gospel. The first is probably the most controversial. It is that these leaders, these ordained leaders, are to be men. You see that the apostles say, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So they instruct the disciples to select men. I don't, I don't want to, to spend all of our time on this point, but, but I don't think I can just sort of pass over it either, because this is controversial in our day. This is not readily accepted. In fact, it is, it is considered by many to be deeply offensive. But you need to understand, especially if you are new here, that here at Trinity, we believe that the ordained leadership of the church is to be male. Men are to serve in these positions. And that's not a popular teaching today. And some try to escape it by suggesting that, that maybe this was sort of a, a cultural accommodation to the church in that day. It was just expected that leaders would be men in the first century, and so therefore Paul was just sort of accommodating himself to the, the culture of the, the day. And so this, this is not really a, a principle that is binding on the church throughout all generations, but it was really something for that day. And, and I want you to hear me say, that is not implausible. All right, we, we sometimes think that, that, that people who suggest that are just uh, outright trying to get out from under the authority of the Scriptures. That is possibly the case, but it's not necessarily the case. It's not implausible to, to suggest that there might be some things in the, the Scriptures that are set forth as cultural accommodations. We're, we're not trying to, to, uh, to, sub to, uh, to get out of the authority of Scripture uh, if we, we think that. For, for example, most of the women in here this morning are not wearing head coverings. Why? Because most of us believe that that was a, a cultural accommodation. Paul forbids men to have long hair, and he requires women to have head coverings when they are in worship. Now, there is a principle there, all right? Uh, there, there is a, a principle that undergirds that. In fact, Paul says the reason that we do this is because the man is the head and the woman is the the helper, there's, a, there's a, uh, a principle of male headship, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But there's a principle that is reflected by the cultural expression, and most people today believe that the cultural expression was binding only as long as it um, was true to that culture. And so in our culture today, uh, long hair and head coverings don't have the same meaning that they did in the first century. And so therefore those accommodations are no longer binding, even though the principle still stands. And so it's not implausible to suggest that, uh, that this might be a cultural accommodation. But when you look at the way that it's presented here and you look at the way that it's presented throughout the New Testament, it doesn't seem to be. When, when Paul's talking about head coverings, it's clear that the head coverings are tied to a principle. 
Here, the, here and elsewhere, the idea that, that men are to be the ordained leaders seems to be the principle. That God has, has created his image bearers, both male and female. And he has created them differently. That's being questioned in our day, but that should be patently obvious to everyone. Like, like that, that shouldn't be debated. God has created men and women differently. He has created us this way. And we are both together image bearers of God. And that matters. It matters that, that we are both created in the image of God. That all people, men and women alike, are created in the image of God. And it matters that in Christ, there is, there is no distinction in our salvation. We are, we are alike saved by grace. We are alike heirs of the kingdom. In fact, you know, people sometimes get <clears throat> frustrated by the fact that, that Scripture is constantly calling the, the children of God sons. But some commentators believe that it's actually important to keep that translation because, because it reminds us that, God, that Paul is calling women sons, which seems strange until you remember that it's the sons who are heirs. And he says men and women alike are heirs of the kingdom. And that matters. That is a, a glorious truth. But God has created men and women differently, and he has assigned to them different roles. We see this clearly in uh, the, the family. God has, has declared that in the family, when, when a man and a woman leave their own families and they come together to, to cleave to one another and to start a new family, in that new relationship, the man is the head and the woman is the helper. That's the, the scriptural language. Now again, we can think of Helper as a derogatory term, but in no way is it, is it such in the Scriptures. God is referred to as the helper more than anyone else in the Scriptures. And God is the helper because he is strong enough to help. God is the helper because he's the one who makes it possible uh, for the person who has been called to do the work that they've been called to do. The, the clear implication is that it is only together, it's only in partnership that we are able to fulfill the calling that we have been given. And yet, nevertheless, it is clear that there are roles to play in the family. The man is called to be the head, and the woman is, is called to be the helper. And as we read about the offices in the church, it seems that there's a similar distinction there as well. That the ordained leadership of the church is to be male. Only men are to serve in those offices. Paul, Paul says that explicitly. In his letter to Timothy, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And then later when he, when he gives the qualifications for those who will serve in these offices, he, he assumes that these positions will be feel, filled by men. And so therefore, we believe that the scriptures teach that God, in his mysterious wisdom has decided to uh, limit the ordained leadership of the church to men. It doesn't mean that women don't have a role to play. In fact, the, the, the parallel with marriage suggests that we can't do our job without the support of women and the gifted women of the church. But God, in his mysterious wisdom, has said the, the leadership is reserved for the, the men. They, yes, they need to be supported by the women. Every part needs to do, uh, every member of the church needs to do its part. Every member of the church needs to use its gifts in the advancement of the mission. But this particular role is reserved for men. And again, if you, if you find that hard to, to believe, if you, if you struggle with that, I, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic. I, I understand 
your struggle. God's wisdom often seems mysterious to us. We don't, quite, we don't always understand why he's doing what he's doing. And so if you are struggling with that this morning, my, my challenge to you is twofold. My challenge to you would be first, deal with the text. Deal with the text. Wrestle with the text. Wrestle with what the text actually says. Look at, look at the text and see if we are interpreting it correctly. That's a, that's a fair thing to do. It's fair to go to the text and say, Does that, is that really what the Bible says? Is that really what the Bible uh, requires? Go to the text. I would, I would encourage you to, to start there. But then I would also encourage you to ask yourself, are you willing to submit to God's word? Go to the text. Find out what God has actually said, but then ask yourself, am I willing to do the work that God has given me to do? And that's a question that's not just required of, of women. That's a, tech, that's a question that's actually required of all of us. All of us can, can probably think of a, a more prestigious position <laughs> that we would like to hold. All of us can, can think of, of something else that we would like to do. Are we willing to do the work that God himself has assigned to us? Even as Sam was saying to the children, God often picks people for, for roles that, that don't seem to fit to us. <laughs> you know, he often picks people to, to lead or to, to exercise authority that we're like, why did you pick him exactly? The one who seems obvious to the world isn't always God's choice. That's true not only in leadership positions, that's, that's true in all positions. And we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to submit to what God has ordained? Am I willing to do the work that he's given me to do? But that's first. That, that's Paul instructs them to select men. But notice, that's not the only requirement. He says, you are to select men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And in some sense, that, is, that little composite could be really one qualification, to be to be of a good reputation, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Those are, those are inseparably bound up together. But, but I think it's helpful to divide them so we can see what each one is emphasizing. So, so what does it mean to be of good repute? To have a good reputation? You know, again, when we, when we think about someone who has a, a good reputation... In, in our day, our, our cynicism might uh, lead us to, to think that they have, they have got that by uh, subterfuge. They, they've got that by pretending. They've got that by hi hypocrisy. Paul's, Paul's not talking about the person who's done the best job of fooling everybody else. <laughs> you know, when, he, when he talks about someone of good repute here, he's talking about someone who, who has a right to a good reputation and a good reputation for something particular. What is the good reputation? The good reputation is that they are men who have lived lives worthy of the gospel. That's what they're being called to do. Remember, they are being called to help the church to keep to walk in step with the Spirit. They're, they're being called to help the, the church walk in the Lord just as they have received Him as Lord. And so, he says, when you're, when you're looking at who you're going to choose to lead you in that endeavor, you need to choose people who are already walking that course, people who have a reputation for living a life worthy of Jesus' name, for, for living a life worthy of his gospel. Not, not people who are sinless, of course. Again, if, if that was the requirement, there would be no leaders in the church. If that was the requirement, we would all be disqualified. But are we truly endeavoring to walk as becomes followers of Christ, and are we humbly uh, repentant when we fail? 
Do we, do we confess our sins? Do we, do we turn from them in, in humble reliance upon God's grace, endeavoring to, to walk in new obedience? Or do we make peace with our sins? Someone who makes peace with their sins, someone who indulges their sinful passions, is not fit to lead. Someone who is known for walking contrary to God's word. Someone who is known uh, for, for failing to uh, manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Such a person is not fit to lead in Christ's church. They need to have a reputation for, for living a life worthy of the gospel. And of course, that reputation comes as a person is filled with the Spirit. That's the, the second qualification that he's, that he's talking about here. He says, the person who is to be a leader is a person who must be filled with the Spirit. And again, think about what that means. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, in our day, we, we sometimes associate being filled with the Spirit with, with certain gifts of the Spirit. Well, someone who is filled with the Spirit is a, is a person who speaks in tongues or, or a person who exercises some other gift. Well, Paul addresses that subject directly in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, listen, it is no one gift that is the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. God, uh, through His Spirit, gives gifts according to His will. He gives to this one one gift. He gives to this one another gift. There is no one gift that is the, the representation of, of, spirit, of a Spirit-filled life. So how then do we know who the person is who is filled with the Spirit? Well, again, Paul tells us. In the middle of his discussion of spiritual gifts in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, this is the mark, this is the most excellent manifestation of the Spirit, that you would be filled with Christian love. He says something similar in his letter to the, the Galatians. He says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. You, 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 you know the list. This is what the life filled with the Spirit looks like. The person who's filled with the Spirit, the person who is being led by the Spirit in every area of their life, the, the person who is manifesting the life of the Spirit is a person whose life is marked by love, by joy, by peace, by patience. A person who does not demand his own way. A, a, a person who does not keep a record of wrongs. A, a person who is patient and kind. This is the, the picture of a person who is filled with the Spirit. And this is the person who we are to choose to lead us. Because it is by the Spirit, it is as they are filled with the Spirit that they are more and more enabled to live a life worthy of the gospel. And of course, living a life worthy of the gospel is the definition of wisdom. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. You can have a knowledge of God's will. You can, you can know the Word. You can be a student of the Bible and not know how to put it into practice. Not know how to live it out. You can have knowledge without wisdom. And Paul's saying the people that you want to choose to lead you are the people who have the wisdom to take the, their knowledge of God's will and apply it to a particular situation. They are the people who have the skill of saying, yes, this is what it looks like to love your neighbor here. This is what it looks like to, to love your neighbor in, in this particular circumstance. 
And these are the people, the people who have a reputation for doing this over the long haul. Again, think of the importance of that reputation. Reputations are not built in a moment. Reputations come over time as you, as you do life together. It's why elsewhere Paul says, listen, the, the leaders are not to be new converts. So someone who has just come to faith is not to be put into a position of, of leadership because you need to see the, uh, their, uh, their life over time. You need to see that this is a person who over time has, has walked out the gospel, has lived a life worthy of the gospel. This is the person whom you can trust to lead you as you seek uh, more and more to live a life worthy of that same gospel. And of course, it is this need for a good reputation which ex- explains the, the last qualification that Paul gives us here, which is that they be uh, from among you. <laughs> All right? Select men from among you. Select local leadership. When we select leaders in the church, we select people from among us. And one of the things that we always say is, if you want to know who to nominate for elder and for deacon, who are the people who you have already seen doing the work? Who are the people who you have already seen gifted to do this kind of work? Who are the people who are, who are naturally um, uh, preaching and teaching the word and speaking it with truth into other people's lives? Who are the people who are naturally coming alongside their, their brothers and, and responding to their uh, bodily needs? Who are the people who are already doing this work of leading uh, in these areas? That's why they are people from among you. We we select our our leadership from among us because these are the people who we know, these are the people we've done life with, these are the people who we have seen living out the gospel, bringing forth its fruit in their lives. And these are the men but Paul says, these are the people that you ought to choose to be your leaders. The church of Jesus Christ needs leaders. It, it needs people who can help them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. It, it needs people to, to lead them, to, to shepherd them. And he says, these are the ones that we should choose. And so, just very briefly, I want us to, to think about what that means for the church today. And there are really at least three uh, implications here that I, that I want to draw attention to. And, and the first is sort of obvious, but it's this. When we select our leaders, these are the qualifications we should use. <laughs> now, 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 I know that seems obvious. The apostles have given us qualifications. We ought, all, ought to employ those qualifications when we are selecting our, our leaders. But it needs to be said because it's not natural. We are like the people of Israel uh, in the days of Saul. We look on the outside. We we look at other things. We look at other evidences of of leadership. and We say, yes, that's a person that we want in charge. This this happens with pastors quite often. I've I've read uh, many things over the course of the last uh, few years uh, about sort of gifting, outstripping character in pastoral leadership. And the reason people are writing about that is because it does such tremendous damage. It does such harm when when churches choose for themselves leaders who are gifted but are not of good repute, but are not full of the Spirit, are not uh, full of wisdom. But it's not true only of pastors, it's true of all of our leadership. All of our ordained leaders need to be men who who meet this criteria. Being a leader in some other field, being a leader at your work, does not necessarily qualify you to be a leader in 
the church. You can be really good in your field and not be equipped to, to lead the church to walk in godliness. And of course, the reverse is also true. Not being a leader in some other field, ha- having a, a more humble position in your field, does not necessarily disqualify you from leadership in the church. I can remember my, my dad saying that my grandfather uh, resisted uh, being nominated for elder for years because he didn't think he was qualified, because he only had a third grade education, because he was a, a simple day laborer. And he said, I don't, I don't need to be uh, an elder in Christ's church. But again and again and again, the members of that congregation said, no, you are a man of good repute. You are a man full of the Spirit. You are a man of wisdom. You know how to follow after your king. You know how to serve him well. And you can help us do that. And so again, being a leader in another position does not necessarily qualify you. And not being a leader in some other field does not necessarily disqualify you. The the qualifications that we must employ when we are looking for leaders in the church are these qualifications set forth by the apostles. We're we're looking for men of good reputation. We're looking for men full of the Spirit. We're looking for men of wisdom, whom we know, who we've done life with, who we've seen follow hard after Jesus, and whom we can trust to lead us in the same path. And of course, that is the, the next implication that I want to draw your attention to this morning. Not only must we select leaders like this, but we must allow these leaders to lead. We must allow them to lead us. And not only when we agree with them. It's easy to follow a leader when we, we agree. It's, it's much harder to, to follow when, when we don't agree with their judgment. But that's, that's true all the time, is it not? You, you see this on, uh, on sports teams. It's easy to follow the coach when you think he's calling the right plays. It's much harder to, to follow the coach when, when you are not sure that the choices he's making are the best. I, I can still remember uh, you know, a scene in the movie Hoosiers. I like sports movies. And you know, in, the, in the, the movie Hoosiers where uh, the coach says, hey, listen, this is the way we're going to play. And the kids are like, hey, we've never played that way before. <laughs> we're not doing this whole move the ball thing. You know, we like to come down and shoot. And so the players ignore him and he puts them on the bench. <laughs> and they don't play. And he's like, what are you doing? We're going to lose the game. He's like, I'd rather lose the game. He says, we, this is how we're going to play. And, and following the leader when you don't agree can become an even greater challenge. And, and that can sound self-serving to someone, uh, uh, coming from someone like me, someone who's on the leadership. But I want you to know that, that it actually goes for me, too. You see, the, the leadership of the church is plural. I, I didn't make a big deal about it in this text, but, but there are seven men here. There's a plurality of men here. All right? the, the leadership of the church is, is plural, and they speak to, as one when they sit in session together. That's why we call it the session. Right? No, one lead, no one elder gets to, to make decisions for the church, but rather it's as they come together as the elders, plural, or as they come together as the deacons, plural, that they, that they make decisions. And so any one member of the session or any one member of the diaconate might not agree with the decision, and yet they still submit to it. They still submit to it. I don't agree with every decision that the the session makes. But I trust that God has given us men full of the Spirit and of wisdom, of good repute, who can lead us in the way that we should go. And so therefore, we must follow. But not finally, and just very briefly, 
not only must we allow these leaders to lead, I want to suggest to you this morning that you ought to be eager to have these leaders lead. Remember the goal here. The goal is that we would more and more be equipped to live a life worthy of our calling. That is your ambition. That is your heart's desire worked in you by the Spirit. It's why you're here this morning. You have come because God has, has, an, uh, has created in you a desire to honor Him with your life, a desire to, to serve Him. And He has given you leaders in the church to help you do that. And so I would encourage you not only to allow them to lead, but to actually be eager for them to lead, to, to seek out their help, to seek out their counsel, to seek out their direction, to have them pray for you as you seek more and more and more to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received in Christ. Because it's as the church more and more lives out its faith under the leadership of godly men that, we will, that the word will continue to increase and that God's name will more and more be glorified in our city. That's why he gives us leaders. Because it's through such leaders that he is building his church. And because he uses such leaders to build his church. And because he gives such leaders to his church. That is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we rejoice in your goodness to us. We rejoice in the gift of leaders. We rejoice, Father, that, uh, that, uh, that you give us the leaders we need to grow up in our salvation. And so we pray, Father, for the humble grace that we will need to, to choose the right men and to uh, follow them faithfully uh, as we seek more and more to grow up in our faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.